We're going to start off the show in the first half by doing some predetermined topics we've got lined up for you guys. And then in the second half of the show, we're going to go over and start taking your live comments and questions. And you can get a live comment or question on the show by simply using the tip link that's near the top of this video. That's streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. You'll be getting your comment or question on the show. And of course, you'll be supporting the show at the same time. Also want to encourage you guys, if you have not done so already, why don't you take a second and click on that subscribe button, become a subscriber to the YouTube channel, and it'll keep you up to date on all the stuff that we've got going on around here. Okay, guys, one more thing I want to remind you guys of. Uh, this past week, we launched uh, our new movie, Movie Trailers, A Love Story, our documentary about movie trailers. And guys, the feedback has been amazing. Thank you so much for all of you guys who have watched and have been giving feedback on it. Going to let you guys know that the movie is now available worldwide, wherever you live. You can get it on Vimeo at vimeo.com slash on demand slash movie trailers. But if you happen to live in the United States or the UK, you have another option of watching it, and that is on Amazon. You can simply go to Amazon and search for movie trailers, a love story, and you should be able to find it there. And guys, again, thank you to all of you who've already checked it out and for the amazing feedback you've been giving. And we're really excited about it and so grateful that you guys are watching it. All right, guys, with all that down, let's get into an off the top to get things started here today, shall we? You know, one of the things that everybody's been really excited about has, of course, been Disney Plus, the upcoming, you know, MCU shows that we're supposed to, we're already supposed to be well into it, but of course, 2020. But one of the shows that hasn't been given a lot of airtime nor a lot of talking time has been the upcoming Hawkeye series. Well, you're about to hear a lot more talk about it because according to Coming Soon and The Verge, Hawkeye, the series, has very quietly been prepping because they're apparently going to start shooting this series next week. Now, obviously, we've got Jeremy Renner starring in it. They're still not 100% sure that's Haley Steinfeld. I hope it is. I think she's tremendous. I've really started to right. like her work a lot lately in all that. Now, look, I'm not going to lie to you. I am still kind of of the mindset that... While I love both Black Widow and Hawkeye, you've heard me say this before, in the MCU. I love these characters in the MCU. I really, really do. But I've never really been interested in their own solo projects. So my interest in the Hawkeye series is, is fairly minimal compared to the other ones. But still, I love Jeremy Renner in the role. I love everything that the MCU has done. Well, maybe not everything, but most of the stuff that the MCU has done, I've really enjoyed and so I'm looking forward to it, and it is kind of neat, Rob, that Marvel has been kind of displaying this ability to sneak things up on us, because I don't think any of us were expecting to hear that this thing was going to start shooting so soon. Anyway, Rob, what do you think about this news, and where's your expectation level for this show overall right now? Well, first of all, obviously, the one benefit to 2020 is that all of these showrunners and the writers have not had to stop working, developing their shows. And if Disney, obviously Disney probably used this time uh, very effectively and made those writing staffs probably make their scripts tight as a drum. And so that that in a way kind of excites me. These shows that had a delay in production because it just gave the the writers and I think uh, the producers really time to hone whatever these shows are supposed to be and make them tight as a drum. And I at least that's. That's that's my dream. <laughs> that's what I would hope. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I think I've always been higher on this show than than you might have been because, you know, I'm a I'm a big fan of spy thrillers and 
I, I like the idea that Hawkeye is a shield operative. And I, I, I do like that if they can make this globe trotting show, like some of the more recent Hawkeye runs in the comics, I think we could get something pretty damn cool. Um, I, I, you know, I don't know what it's going to be. I don't know if it's like some kind of a father daughter thing. I don't know what, but I, I, I like Renner's portrayal of, of Hawkeye. You know, I liked his sort of, sort of like nihilistic, angry young man or angry old man or angry childless or familyless man in, in Endgame. How he was just, just killing criminals, traveling around the world, eliminating bad people. And I'm like, I'd watch a show about that. So I'm kind of, I'm kind of, uh, I'm kind of excited. All right, guys. Question is for you. What do you guys think about this news? That it sounds like the Hawkeye series is about to go into production. Where's your excitement level for this? Is it pretty high? Is it in the middle? Is it kind of low right now? What are you guys thinking about it? Jump down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys. With that down, let's now get into our main topics today. And how do we select our main topics here on the John Campion Show? Well, it's really rather simple. You see, you guys come up with them by going anytime, 24-7, whenever you find an interesting topic or story that you think we should talk about here, go on over to www.thejohncampionshow.com slash contact. Once you guys get there, you're going to see a form. Fill it out with your topic or story. It's totally free. Hit submit and maybe, just maybe, you might see your submission featured as a main topic here on the John Campia show. With that down, let's get into main topic number one. And our first main topic today gets submitted to us by Christian Ru Rubiano. Christian Rubiano. And Christian Rubiano writes, hope you enjoyed Turkey Day. I did. Thank you very much. What is it? Oh, by the way, and I should let you guys know that this question was submitted by Christian on our open mic podcast, which is on our podcast only feed that comes into us from our Patreon supporters. And I thought this one was really interesting. So I thought we'd cover it here today on the show. What is it about Zack Snyder's directing style that elicits such a strong response, either positively or negatively from audiences? I know all films are subjective, but not all directors garner such passionate responses Every single time out. All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And yeah, listen, it is a, a really good question. You know, the name Zack Snyder, although it has never been before, but in recent years, Zack Snyder's name has kind of become a, a lightning rod, if you will, of discussion and sometimes controversy. And he has become that something that I would argue through no fault of his own kind of the poster child for what uh, a polarizing director or a divisive director really is. And again, I, I think it's through no fault of his own. So it's understandable that Christian would ask, you know, what is it about his directing style and what it is he does that makes him so polarizing, so divisive, that elicits such positive responses and such negative responses at the same time? I would argue this. He really doesn't. I, I would argue that despite all the hoopla we've had the last number of years, Zack Snyder inherently himself is actually really not all that polarizing, nor is he really all that divisive. I think he just, through no choice of his own, kind of got prompted and pushed into this position of being the poster child of the ultimate Marvel fanboy versus DC fanboy uh, war, if you will. And I think Zack Snyder inadvertently and involuntarily kind of became the face of that. Think about this for a little while. 
when you look at Zack Snyder's work, much like we break our calendar into BC and AD, let's look at BDC and ADC. Let's look at Zack Snyder's career before DC and since he started doing DC movies. Well, you look at films like 300, which people, you know, loved. Legends of the, I think his most underrated, uh, other than Man of Steel, of course, which is the most underrated comic book film of all time. But one of his really more underrated films, Legends of the Guardians, the Al-Zagul, this little animated film he did that I actually really quite like and nobody ever talks about it. But I think it's quite a good movie. Then he did The Watchmen. Not everybody loved The Watchmen, but, you know, considering the fact that it was considered for a long time, Rob, to be an unfilmable comic book story like absolutely unshootable the fact that half the people love it is kind of a testimony but it never really even though people are kind of divided over Watchmen, it never really made people divide over Zack snyder you know then you get sucker punch the one Zack snyder film i don't like (laughs) the only one that he's ever made that i don't like is sucker punch but again nobody it never made every every director has a bad day at the office even steven spielberg has a bad day at the office i think sucker punch was Zack snyder's bad day at the office Then Dawn of the Dead, which a lot of people I know you, Rob, in particular, have a real affinity for Dawn of the Dead. The point is, before he started doing DC movies, he's made some really strong movies. He's made a couple that maybe weren't all that strong. Every director does. But Zack Snyder's name, Rob, prior to him doing Man of Steel, prior to him coming into the DC universe, was never a polarizing name, was never a divisive name, was never a lightning rod name, even though he was making his films. He never was that. It wasn't until we get to the point that he's doing the DC movies. Man of Steel, which I believe is a masterpiece of the genre that he did, but whenever I bring that up, my comments and whatever get filled with people saying, you don't know what you're talking about, Can't be a Man of Steel sucks. And that's fine. That's fair. All films subjective. I got no problem with that. But I think it's bloody brilliant. And then, of course, Batman versus Superman, Donna Justice, which a lot of fans hated, a lot of fans love, blah, blah, blah. And then Justice League with whatever, you know, the, the hoopla and the circus that surrounded that. My contention is that it's by coming into DC and really launching the DC universe when Marvel was coming up and, and coming around so strongly. Again, I believe he became the poster child for really that war, that war between DC and Marvel, even when DC and Marvel and all their executives were publicly encouraging each other and showing support for each other and blah, blah, blah. Meanwhile, the Marvel DC slave fanboys and the, the, the Marvel DC slave fanboys and the DC, you know, comic book, slave corporate fanboys they absolutely went to war and i the gratefully rob today it's not quite as bad as it was just a couple of years ago but the vitriol that was always involved in anything that would involve the marvel or dc discussion because as a corporate zombie fanboy the marvel corporate zombie fanboy was programmed and predetermined that if anything came out dc regardless of how good it might be was automatically going to hate it and and bash on it and villainize it meanwhile the corporate zombie slave dc fanboys were automatically pre-programmed and predecided that anything that came out dc was the best thing in the world ever and that anything marvel absolutely sucked and zack snyder launching this thing and then kind of becoming the face of it with Batman versus Superman. And then Rob, you had a lot of people that were more in the middle, like you and I, like I didn't love man of steel because it was DC. I personally love man of steel. Cause I just thought it was a great movie. 
And I know there are some people who hated Man of Steel, not because they hate DC, but just because they didn't like it as a movie. But you got those extremes, those Marvel corporate zombie fanboys at the time years ago and the DC corporate zombie slaves on the DC side. And I think really when you look at it, yeah, there, there are movies that people liked and people didn't like, and that's fine. But I think it was him, Zack Snyder, getting caught in the middle of this comic book movie fan civil war that really made him kind of the face of it. And therefore, the image, the physical representation of what it meant to be a corporate Marvel zombie slave or a corporate DC zombie slave. And he became that battle point. And I think, again, that's why I say, yeah, I agree. Zack Snyder is kind of a polarizing and divisive director, but I contend it was neither voluntary on his part, nor is it even his fault. He just got dragged into a battle that the companies never wanted to have, but the lesser mature sides of the fandom decided to have. And I think that's it. And you know what, Rob? I think, too, you could also say, and tell me what you think about this, but I think Zack Snyder's name is only as polarizing as divisive amongst those people who still kind of hold on to that Marvel versus DC fanboyism. I think if you talk to a lot of average film fans, they hear the name Zack Snyder as a director and they may recognize it. They may not, but I don't think it elicits any strong feelings one way or the other. I think it's still kind of remnantized to those two more extreme points of view. And it be kind of becomes a symbol of that war and that battle. That's my take on it at any rate. Rob, when you hear somebody writing in a question and asking, you know, why is the name Zack Snyder so polarizing, blah, blah, blah. Why do you think that's a state and where and is it really as bad as that as they're making it up? What do you think? Well, I think you made a, a really good point about the comic book nature of, of, of the battles that go on between fans, movie fans and, and uh, comic book movie fans. But people have to remember that, you know, he made 300. That was his first comic adaptation. And that was a. A beautiful – I don't think anyone who liked Frank Miller's comic didn't like Zack Snyder's movie because it's such a loving – he took what was on the page and, and, and beautifully recreated it and gave us a great adaptation of Frank Miller's 300. I don't know anybody so, that doesn't like it, to be no, honest with and, you. And, and I think that's where – so Zack Snyder, remember, that was a comic book adaptation, not a superhero adaptation, but comics that people liked. And then I think – what happened like for me i was really watchman was a really mixed bag for me because i love the the slavish recreation to the comics that he provided from a visual standpoint i just didn't feel the intellectual rigor was there that made the comic book so uh, why i'm such a passionate fan of the comic book and like with man of steel i saw things in man of steel such as the fight with zod and superman like the scene where they're punching each other in in the air, flying in, with super speed. Yeah, I had never seen anything like that before, and that that is what it would look like if two Kryptonians were fighting above an American city. It would be an apocalyptic event that made 9/11 look like, you know, a walk in the park, and it you never want that to happen. And he he showed that. And for whether you're a detractor or not, Zack Snyder's superhero work has had a quality to it unlike any other directors. The problem I think is, is that he doesn't, he's not bringing to the characters of say, well, it, mostly Superman, 
the kind of qualities that most people expect fan fan people that are fans he's trying it's a much more dark and it's a much more realistic take on what superman would be like in our world today also with batman v superman it's obviously a film that's overstuffed although i think that he brings a quality to these movies that no other director brings and i think it's a combination of painterly and I think it's it's just different. And, you know, where the MCU is more traditional comic book panels and things like that, Zack Snyder went the sort of Alex Ross painterly way of doing things. And he's not providing – his superhero movies don't put a smile on your face. They make you kind of go, <laughs> whereas if you watch Civil War – you get a big smile on your face watching that airport battle. It's brightly lit. You know, even though the, the friends are fighting, their friends are foes, but it's just different. It's you're, you're watching in broad daylight. There's no lightning cracks in the sky. And, and there seems to be less CG, even though there isn't, but it, it's set more in the real world. And I just think the tone of Snyder's movies is different than what people want. So he's become a, a divisive character in that way. But like you pointed out, it really became when he started – when Marvel was doing what they were doing so successfully, he was doing something tonally that was so different from what Marvel was doing that people weren't – you don't feel great about yourself when you walk out of a Zack <laughs> Snyder superhero movie. You walk out of a – you walk out of Captain America, the first Avenger, or you walk out of Iron Man. And you're like, yeah, man. That was awesome. But you walk out of a Superman and Batman movie and you're like, oh, man, that was kind of rough. That was kind of heavy. So it's a whole different feel. And I think people are responding to that. But I understand that what, what people want is they want the same feelings, maybe not the same content, but they want to feel the same way about their superhero characters. And I think Zack Snyder doesn't do that. You know, but he's never done that. 300, Watchmen, Sucker Punch, Dawn of the Dead, certainly Dawn of the Dead ends, every character dies. You know, and, and it, it's, it's not, he does not leave you with, with a wonderful taste in your mouth. Uh, he leaves you with a, more of a contemplative, dark taste in your mouth. And I think that's, I think that's what people are responding to. But what's interesting is, why not spend some time reflecting on that rather than like I look at Zack Snyder's movies. I'm like, that's interesting. He's giving me something new to think about as opposed to reinforcing things that I've already thought. And that's why I enjoy his movies. Look, I was so against, you know, Dawn of the Dead is the original Romero. Dawn of the Dead is one of my yep. favorite movies in the world. I was so against. I walked into that movie, John. I'm like, I, I'm going to hate this garbage. <laughs> Even though James Gunn wrote it. I hate, I screw this guy for remaking one of it. I, you know what? After the first, first 10 minutes, I'm like, okay, I'm in. And for him to bring me around like that on that movie, I, I, I will always give him at least a pass and contemplate what he's doing before I pillory him on the internet. Here's the interesting thing like that. You bring up something really interesting that, that I think kind of became a spark point for a lot of the debate was the darkness of his films. And I remember thinking, you know, the dark night, uh, the dark night rises. 
these were darker tone films. Like I always contended that I don't think, you know, where there are weaknesses in Zack Snyder's DC films, I don't think that the dark tone is necessarily one of them because we saw that in Dark Knight and Christopher Nolan's films, but nobody really seemed to claim. What, what's, what do you think about that? Well, you know, I think I think when I say dark, you know, Christ, uh, Christopher Nolan is setting his movies in the real world. Like he shoots outside in Chicago. He'll, he'll flip a, a, an 18-wheeler on an actual street. Whereas, like, and during the day, whenever you get outside during the day, the sky, the, the sky looks real. In, in Zack Snyder's movies, even the sky looks like it's painted. It almost it, – it, it, it looks – his whole milieu feels – I mean, people forget Michael Keaton's – Tim Burton's Batman movies were very highly stylized. And while they were also over the top, they were also really dark in terms of the way they looked. I think it's really more of an aesthetic thing. And and also, you know, his Superman character, when the portrayal of Superman, it isn't all Superman's not smiling like, hey, Lois, you know, let's go see what's out there in Metropolis. And it's not you, you, you're not getting it's so far away from the portrayal of Superman as we've seen him as Christopher Lee played him as Dean Cain played him as as he's been played on the CW shows, because the counterpoint is the CW shows really feel like. The DC shows, I mean, on the CW, they feel the Arrowverse. They feel so light and lively, you know, as opposed to the weight of the world that Zack Snyder's movies bring. And I think I think people are more responding to that than anything else. Well, guys, the question is for you. What do you think about that when you hear people asking? Because, like, why why does Zack Snyder suddenly become this this lightning rod thing when he really wasn't before? I've presented my theories. Rob's presented his. What do you guys think about that? Jump down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, let's move into main topic number two. And our second main topic today gets submitted to us by Louise. And Louise writes... Hey, John, have you heard that David Prowse, this obviously came in the other day, who played Darth Vader, died on Saturday? I know he had been in a number of different shows and movies from Doctor Who to Clockwork Orange, but I knew him first, not from Star Wars, but as the Green Cross Code Man, a superhero encouraging us to pay attention to road safety. <laughs> Though I'll admit uh, that it wasn't until recently that I knew he had been Christopher Reeve's personal trainer to prepare him. For Superman, speaking of Christopher Reeve that we uh, just discussed a second ago. And yeah, it was with uh, a lot of sadness that we heard the other day that David Prowse uh, had had passed away. Um, and it, it seems like our original Star Wars heroes are just the last couple of years. I, I, it, I, I know it hasn't been true, but it feels like every four or five months we're hearing about another um, – beloved member of the star Wars family from that original trilogy had passed away. You know, we lost P Peter Mayhew. Uh, we lost Carrie Fisher. We now lost David Prowse. Um, and, and it was sad to hear. It was very sad to hear whenever somebody who you have spent so much time with, of your life with. And I remember Rob, I talked about this when Carrie Fisher passed away. It's like, it's not like I knew Carrie Fisher personally, but there are a lot of hours in my life. I have spent more hours of my life with 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 Carrie Fisher than I had with a lot of my aunts or uncles. I mean, <laughs> it just is what it is. And when somebody like David Prowse 
uh, passes away. Now, of, of course, to be fair, when we think of Darth Vader, obviously, and for understandable reasons, we think James Earl Jones. Understandably so. He is the iconic voice of Vader. But, you know, George Lucas needed to go out and get somebody who could physically bring that imposing, intimidating stature of Vader. And uh, that's what David Prowse did. Um, as a matter of fact, you know, one of my favorites, there's been a lot of celebrities, uh, including those connected with Star Wars and those who are not, sending out their thoughts about David Prowse. My favorite, though, Rob, came from William Shatner. I don't know if you saw this, but William Shatner tweeted out, I am saddened to wake up to the news that my Twitter friend David Prowse passed away. David, a literal giant among men, played many roles in his career. His most famous role was being the misunderstood father who tried to give the universe to his two very disobedient twins, <laughs> which I, I absolutely love reading that. I thought, I thought that was fantastic to read. Uh, but yeah, uh, of course, David Prowse passes away at the age of 85. Rob, you heard about the passing of, of David Prowse, another core member of the original Star Wars family. Uh, what are your thoughts as we hear about this? Well, obviously, I, I mean, I don't, I don't think I've ever owned as many action figures of one character in my life as I've owned of Darth Vader. And, and, you know, I know people associate James Earl Jones so, so much with Vader, but you know what? Vader's movements and the way he was so imposing and, and his, he, I mean, there's an ineffable quality to Prowse's performance, physical performance as Vader that you can't deny that he was, in fact, Darth Vader. And he did. I mean, he was a character actor and had bit roles. Obviously, one of my favorite movies in the world is A Clockwork Orange, which he, he plays a writer's bodyguard in that movie. And I just think that, you know, I would hope that when – I'm sure in, in his real life, Prowse was frustrated and probably he didn't know that his voice was going to be replaced uh, as Vader, and I'm sure that there were things about that that never sat well with him. But you know, he he did engage with fans, and he did he did create something that is iconic and probably will be iconic. I would dare say for hundreds of years to come. And I think that anybody anybody who lives a life where they're able to do something that has a lasting mark on the world, and literally he has a lasting mark on the world. His, his image and his work is burned into the subconscious, I think, of, of every, every child and every aging man-child like myself, that his is a life worth celebrating, and I think he had a good one. All right, guys. Question is, what are your thoughts uh, today as we talk about and reflecting back on David Prowse? And, and where were you? What were you feeling when you found out about his passing? David Prowse passes away at the age of 85. Jump down to the comment section below and leave your memories there. All right, guys. With that down, let's move on to main topic number three. And our third main topic today gets submitted to us by Abdi Sala. And Abdi Sala writes, Hey, John and Rob, today is Chadwick, this is the other day, today is Chadwick Boseman's 44th birthday, and to honor him, Marvel and Disney had changed the intro to Black Panther with him on Disney+. Plus. Uh, what are your thoughts, and have a good day. All right, thanks a lot for sending that in. And yeah, it was uh, the other day, it was uh, Chadwick Boseman's, 40, would have been Chadwick Boseman's 44th birthday. 
Um, just, I, I still remember, it's one of those things I will always remember where I was exactly and what I was doing when I heard about Heath Ledger passing away. I will always remember exactly where I was and what I was doing when I heard that Chadwick Boseman had passed away. And, you know, Marvel has done a lot of uh, things really well in honoring people and the members uh, of their family. And, you know, we got a, a glimpse from uh, Bob Iger that they were going to do something pretty special for Chadwick Boseman as well. Bob Iger, uh, this comes to us from Variety, who wrote, Disney Plus redesigned the Marvel logo intro to Black Panther to honor Bozeman on November 29th. Bozeman, who played T'Challa slash Black Panther, died on August 28th following a four-year battle with colon cancer. Walt Disney executive Bob Iger announced via Twitter that a special tribute to Bozeman would be featured as a part of Black Panther on Disney Plus. He wrote, to all fans of Black Panther, watch the film on Disney Plus late tonight for a special tribute to someone that was and will always be near and dear to our hearts. And then what we got was this tremendous little thing that they did. I think they did something similar for Stan Lee. They gave us like the intro of their Marvel thing. For for those of you who haven't seen it, they gave us this intro but the traditional Marvel intro, but instead what they did is they colored it into the Black Panther colors and it was all, it was, I was about to say all Stan Lee. It was all Chadwick Boseman, which I thought was a really nice little touch. It, it, it was a touching tribute and I think uh, well done. It looked great. It felt great. I, I felt an emotional pull kind of as I was watching it. And, you know, Rob, this is all coming out as we, we are getting uh, close to, when they're going to mm. start doing uh, Black Panther two, we found out they're they're pre, they're in pre production now. They're going to start rolling cameras in a couple of months. Uh, but anyway, Rob, you heard. I thought this was a really classy move on their part. You saw this. What did you think about it? And and what are your feelings on it in general? I loved it. I mean, I you know anybody that can elicit emo an emotional response out of a logo in me. <laughs> in, ten, in 10 seconds of screen time or whatever, you know what really kills me is that behind the scenes shot where in front of a green screen where you see him just smile big, you know, and and I've always liked him as a performer. But I think things like this, you know, this is why the Disney Corporation that everybody, you know, sometimes portrays as this evil empire. They really know what they're doing. And I thought this was an incredibly classy move. They didn't have to do this. Um but they did. And like you said, the Stan Lee intro was tremendous as well. I love that. And I thought this was a very fitting, great honor, honorarium or whatever you want to call it for Chad Bozeman and his time with the MCU. And I, I just, it just, it shows a level of respect that I think we, we all need. And for as cynical as you might get, it's these kinds of things. They matter. And I think, I hope they keep it there. I hope they leave it on the front of the movie. I, I, I can't see why they wouldn't. I mean, I had the same thought. Like, so we're going to put it up tonight. It's like, I'm hoping that wasn't just for the day. Like, I mean, yeah. if, if they decide to, to change it out, I have no problem with that. I'm saying it, it would seem like a good idea to leave that up, I think. But I we'll did. So it was it was beautifully done. Yeah, yeah it was you know, absolutely beautifully done. I've, I've gone back and watched it like four or five times. Like I thought it was really well done. Question is, guys, what do you think about this? You think this is a really nice gesture on their part? Do you think they executed it well? Jump down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, let's move on to our fourth and final main topic today. And our fourth and final main topic today 
gets submitted to us by All Might, symbol of peace. I think people have been hearing I'm watching My Hero Academia right now. So All Might, symbol of peace writes, hey, John and Rob. I hope it's okay to ask a question with a spoiler in it since the episode came out almost four days ago. But who do you think are the primary options for the Jedi that might meet Mando and Baby Yoda? That's still his name, damn it, uh, on Tython. I've got a bunch in my head, but I wanted to know who you thought it could be. Thanks. All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, man. You know, first of all, I think you raise a really interesting question about, you know, is it okay to ask this? One of the biggest battles that always goes around fan communities is the issue of spoilers. And one of the big, the, one of the biggest problems and one of the biggest reasons there's a lot of battle over spoilers is because nobody has the same definition of what a spoiler is, right? Everybody has different varying degrees of what constitutes a spoiler, what does not. And then, so therefore you get some people who just in good faith are just acting on what they think is a spoiler or not. And other people don't. I mean, so it's, it's always that I believe, like I've always said this when it comes to movies, Rob, I've always said that I feel like you've got to let a movie finish its full theatrical run and then have a little bit of time of when it's been available on home video. If you have not seen a movie by the time it's done its full theatrical run and it's been available to you for a few weeks on home video, then you're clearly not all that interested in the movie and it shouldn't bother you at all. With television though, Rob, I've always had a different thing because television is different. I've always kind of thought like with television, you've got 24 hours, like max before getting, hearing major story points about what happened in that episode, because there's another episode coming next week. Right. There's another episode coming next week. At some point, the fans have to be able to and allowed to openly discuss the events that happened in a show. So that's why. So I still think you got to give it a little bit of a buffer. Don't start revealing major spoiler points and major plot points for about 24 hours. But after that, I think we just have to accept that. If you can't watch a show in the first 24 hours, then then you've got to exile yourself from social media until you have a chance to catch up because the fans have got to be able to talk about it. So I'm totally fine that here we are about four days later that you're asking a question involving uh, Mandalorian. And, and with that said, let's actually get into it. So, of course, at the end of uh, one of the things that gets revealed in the last episode of uh, Mandalorian, the Jedi, as it was called was that Grogu, and yes, to me, damn it, he is also still Baby Yoda. I don't care what they call him. He's still Baby Yoda to me. So they find out that Baby Yoda needs to go to this planet Tython, get into this Jedi temple, where hopefully there's such a connection to the Force that maybe another Jedi will feel that Baby Yoda's there and will come. So it raises a lot of questions, including who could that Jedi that shows up responding to the baby Yoda force call throughout the galaxy call collect. Who is that going to be? I think there are a number of options. Option number one, by the way, is nobody, nobody shows up that they get there. There's some monsters or bandits that they have to deal with, but at the end of the day, nobody shows up. And so he just continues to go on and search for their people. But if somebody does show up, there are a few options, and I want to go over those with you guys. One of the options, of course, is Luke Skywalker. I mean, theoretically speaking, Luke is out there right now at the beginning stages of trying to reassemble the Jedi Academy. 
right? He's he's just at the beginning stages right now of reforming the Jedi Order. That's what he's so he's out there somewhere. So that's possible. Maybe you could get in a Mark Hamill with a little bit of de-aging. Maybe they bring in another actor to play young, younger Luke, but that's a possibility. I'll tell you right now, I don't want it to be Luke. I want them to keep this separate, even though Luke is my favorite character in the world. But Luke Skywalker is definitely one of the possibilities. Another possibility a lot of people are talking about is Mace Windu. You know, Samuel Jackson, we all know he'd want to come back. I mean, we didn't see him die technically, so... There's that. So maybe a Mace Windu shows up. Then we've got some Force Ghost possibilities. A Force Ghost Qui-Gon Jinn. Remember, Liam Neeson made an appearance. Granted, it was via video, but Liam Neeson made an appearance at Star Wars Celebration a couple of years ago to talk about Star Wars and stuff like that. Maybe he's still connected in. Maybe they bring him in as a Force Ghost. Maybe it's Force Ghost Yoda. We've seen that happen a number of times, not to mention in in the most recent movies. Maybe it's Force Ghost Obi-Wan. And maybe somehow, some way, this will tie into uh, the upcoming Obi-Wan series. I don't know if that's likely, but maybe it's Force Ghost Obi-Wan. Let's get into the video game world, though. A real interesting possibility here is Cal from Jedi Fallen Order, the video game. I mean, that game basically ends with Cal going, let's go out and find some other Force-sensitive kids, dude. This would clearly <laughs> fall under that. You've got the actor who modeled the character. So you could bring him in to do it. I think Cal's a possibility. Would I put my money on it? No, but I think it's a strong possibility. It could be Cal. Or what about the more obvious one? The last couple of episodes have been, you know, they've turned Mandalorian into who from Rebels will pop up now kind of show. But we had Bo-Katan, which is great. We had the Sokotano episode, which is great. Doesn't it stand to reason that maybe Ezra Bridger is the one that comes down and finds them? I would actually put my money on that. I don't think it's a slam dunk, 100% sure, not at all. But I think out of any of these options, I think that might be the more likely, even though I wouldn't give it a super high percentage chance. So Ezra Bridger becomes one of the possibilities. But but then the final possibility is simply this, which is actually kind of the one I hope they do, which is a character we've never seen of, heard of, or ever met before. Because, damn it, isn't that basically what Mandalorian was supposed to be anyway? Expanding the Star Wars universe to give us new stories and new characters? And lately it's been, who's the pop-up character we already know of the week? But, but right. And I've loved it. I've loved it. I have. I've really enjoyed it. But I think we've got to look at the possibility that, you know, Oogie Von Jovi, you know, Obi-Wan Bon Jovi shows up. Let's just, I don't know, some some Force-using Jedi character we have not seen, not met before, and shows up, and maybe it's a new character. So, look, we got the options. The first one, nobody shows up. A bunch of Force ghost characters show up. Well, any one of the Force ghost characters, Luke, Mace, Cal, Ezra. Rob, there's a lot of options there on the table. If I had to guess it would be one of them, I'm going to put my guess towards Ezra Bridger maybe showing up. I mean, all signs seem to point to that. The very fact that they mentioned uh, Grand Admiral Thrawn in the last episode, and we know that how Ezra's story ended in Rebels with Grand Admiral Thrawn and how that's connected. We just saw uh, we just saw uh, Ahsoka Tano. We just saw Bo-Katan. It is, of course, Dave Filoni that's involved in this. So I, I, if I had to pick one, I would guess it's Ezra Bridger. My preference would be an unknown character. Rob, you're looking at that list. Where does your head go about who we might actually see Baby Yoda run into 
at this temple on Tython. Uh, is it one of these? Could it be some other options I'm not thinking of? No. How do you think this I, is going to go? I, I think, look, the ties to Rebels and Clone Wars are strong with this show. And I like that. I think it's good. I mean, Clone Wars, I know you're not as big a fan of Clone Wars. I really like Clone Wars, especially what they did in the last few seasons. But with Filoni working on it, I think they've made a very interesting, tightly uh, wound continuity. And I really like what they're doing. So I think Ezra is probably – I mean if I had to put money on it. The problem is he feels like a natural adjunct to everything else they're doing. If we saw any of our – if Luke shows up, they'd have to like de-age him or something. And I just feel that they really – what I do like is the Rebels and Clone Wars and now Mandalorian continuity is kind of its own thing. I mean it's – part of the Star Wars universe, but I really like how they're building their own mythology. And I, I think they're going to continue to do that. And I love the fact that like Grand Admiral Thrawn, who I loved in the Thrawn trilogy, I mean, he was introduced in books and those books, while the stories might be legends of those, the first Thrawn trilogy, what they're doing on screen with him in the animated series. And now presumably with the, I don't know, do we know who's playing him? We don't even know that he's going to be in it physically. It might have just been a name drop for all we know. He, he's going to be in it. Come on, dude. Come on. I'm I, just saying I we can't. don't know. I, that's the thing. I'm just saying we don't know, right? We I, just uh, – they yeah. also name dropped Yoda, but that doesn't automatically mean Yoda is going to appear. Now, do I think there's a chance Grand Admiral Thrawn shows up actually physically? Of course there's a chance. I mean you got Lars Mickelson out there uh, somewhere, Matt's, Matt's Mickelson's brother who did the voice of the character. Uh, in the show. So, I mean, that's definitely a possibility. I'm just saying, as of right now, though, we don't know that he's going to show up. No, we don't. But when they brought him up, I'm like, and and let's face it, Ahsoka Tano's looking for him. Yes. You think they're going to let that go? <laughs> Come on. That, that's, that was the cliffhanger of that episode. Where is Grand Admiral Thrawn? I lost my shit, to be honest. I'm like, <laughs> yes! Um, uh, uh, and I, I, I just think that they're going to keep going with that continuity. I, I mean, and I like that. I think it's cool. I like, I don't care how old Katie Sackhoff is as Bo-Katan. I love that whole portrayal. I love them taking down that, that, that troop, that the cargo ship, whatever you want to call it. I loved all that. I, I love the Ahsoka Tano episode. For me, it's just, that's the kind of, I wouldn't even call it fan service as much as it's extending the universe. They've been building in the animated series for years now. So I feel it's earned. I feel it's the kind of thing that uh, it just broadens what we've already seen. And I think Ezra would be the the easiest one. And, and I think people would, would like that. It would make people happy. Only people who watched Rebels. And I think it's I think this is the, that's one thing that we all lose sight of a lot is that the majority of people out there who wa who have watched Star Wars and know Star Wars have never watched Rebels. I mean, the reality is. A relative small number of people watched Rebels. Not as many people watch Rebels as we seem to think they did. I mean, I've, I watched right. it all. I'm a big fan of Rebels. But, I mean, so, yeah, it would make some people happy. But I think there would be a lot of people watching Mandalorian who have, who've never, don't, have never even heard the name Ezra Bridger. But, before. yeah, if they've never heard, they, but the character is still interesting. I like, the, that, I like the Ezra character very, very much. I think yeah, the Ezra character is great. I agree. There's people who have no idea who Bo-Katan was and people who have no idea who Ahsoka Tano is. Like if I were to say to my mom, mom, Darth Vader died, she'd be like, oh. But if I would say to my mom, oh, my God, Ahsoka Tano was on this episode of The Mandalorian, my mom would be like, what? 
Yeah, what my mom too. Say? Was that in English? <laughs> the Mandalorian, Ahsoka Tano, what? So when so, you're looking at this list, though, right now, you're looking at Skywalker, Windu. Let, let me ask you then. Let me get you to do put on your analyst hat here. Let me go through these one by one. Give me just roughly. I don't, you don't have to do strong mathematics. Uh, percentage chances of each one of these characters being the one that shows up. What percentage chance is it that it's Luke Skywalker shows up to you? 20%. See, I go even, I go like five. Okay. Uh, Mace Windu, Samuel Jackson's Mace Windu. So I'd go five on Mace. Yeah, I go because a little, I go like six or seven. All right. But I, I like that. Force Ghost, Qui-Gon Jinn. Okay. I would go higher for the him. I would say let's go 30% because I wouldn't be surprised if his Force Ghost shows up in the Obi-Wan series. And if they do that, that means. They're going to use him a little bit more. Why not throw in a little uh, little action on uh, for the Mandalorian? Why not? Little Liam Neeson in there. All right. What about Force Ghost Yoda? Maybe I'm going to go higher on Yoda too because he's already got a mention in the show. So let's let's put him at thirty. Force Ghost well. Obi Wan Kenobi. Well, again, <laughs> uh, I'm going to go higher on that. I I would go on that. I'll even go forty because they're doing an Obi Wan show. Right. So all right. He's From there. Jedi Fallen Order, Cal. Nope, I'm gonna bring that down to five, five percent. And of course, then uh, Ezra Bridger. Yeah, higher. I mean, I think Ezra be. I'll put him at forty. That's 40%. I, you know that's exactly where I was gonna put it to. Forty percent chance that's Ezra Bridger. What about Kyle Katarn from uh, from Shadows of the Empire? I don't see. They've never canonized that, right? I, so I, know, I mean, I know, I know. Well, at the a, time, it sort of was back in the '90s. You know. It was it, it was it, a uh, it loose was a cannon at the time. All right, guys. Question is for you. And you know what? I was so interested in what you guys thought about this. I made that the topic of today's question of the day. So I got on uh, and put up this poll of just before we started the show. And I asked you guys this question. This call is on the community tab of the YouTube channel, by the way. I asked you guys this question. Question of the day. Which Jedi character is most likely to show up to meet Baby Yoda in the temple? I asked you guys. Now, I'm only able to put up five options. So I broke it down like this. One option was Luke. 17% of you said Luke Skywalker will show up. 8% of you said Cal. 41% of you guys also think it's going to be Ezra. 22% of you thinks it could be one of the Force Ghosts, whether it's Yoda, Qui-Gon, Obi-Wan, or Anakin. By the way, I didn't put the Anakin as a, as a possible Force Ghost either. And then 12% of you said Mace Windu. It had a little over 3,100 of you guys have cast your vote. I'm going to leave that vote up there again. It's on the YouTube channel. Uh, in the community tabs, we'll leave that there. So, guys, what do you think? What do you think is going to happen here? Maybe it will be nobody shows up. Who do you think is going to be? Jump into the comments section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With all that down and out of the way, let's now move on and start taking your live questions. Once again, you can get in a live comment or question on the show by using the tip link that's near the top of the description of this video. That's streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. Let's move on now and start taking your questions. We'll get things started here with Dark Knight Rises, who writes, John, curious. So many stars are into politics. My question is, how much time do they really have to read and investigate the issues if they are so busy on location, working long hours, or going through scripts, then having uh, then having families to raise? Well, here's the thing, Dark Knight Rises. I think there's a couple. There's a big misnomer out there. I think if, it's actually a relative low percentage 
of actors and Hollywood celebrities that actually get vocal about politics. When you really, it feels like it's a lot of them, but really when you break it down, it's a relatively small percentage of them that do it. But beyond that, one could ask a plumber, um, well, hey, a plumber, how much time does he have to read and research the actual issues between doing the job, running a business, having a family, all that? Kind of, how much How much time will they have? Well, they're still a person and they're still a person. Politics affects everybody and people should have an opinion. And so do we go around telling plumbers to shut up and not talk about politics if they want to? Of course not. And really, the only difference between celebrities and everybody else is that they're a little bit, they're higher profile people. We just, more of us know who they are. So I, I think there's two things. Number one, I don't think as many celebrities speak out about politics as, as people would have you believe. I think it's a much smaller percentage than, it, than, than people think. But the other thing is, there's still people with a job who live in a country that is affected by politics. So they'll speak out about it as much as plumbers or accountants or lawyers or fast food restaurant managers or whoever else it is. And so there's really no difference. And I think there's a little bit of a hypocrisy in there when we say that we should be allowed to say things that we think about the, uh, regarding politics of people who are into acting or whatever. They shouldn't have that same privilege. So anyway, there's a little bit of a, of a thing there, Dark Knight. All right. I love Mando writes. I saw this amazing documentary. <laughs> I see what you did there. I saw this amazing documentary about movie trailers by my favorite YouTuber. Uh, it reminded me of watching documentaries with my mom all the time when she was around. She loved documentaries and she would have loved this one. I am sure of it. Thanks, John. Aw, dude. I, I, I don't know that you should could have said something more honoring and, and more humbling. Uh, thank you for that. That's that's really special. Thank you so much for that, man. I appreciate that very, very much, my friend. Uh, all right. Next up, Ali Hussein writes, holy F shit. Thrawn's name drop was crazy. Do you think we're going to see him in a future season of The Mandalorian? I believe that they're going to tease him on the on the season finale of The Mandalorian, just like they did with the Darksaber. I think there's a couple of options here, Rob. I think there's a couple of options. Uh <sighs> I don't think we're going to see him this season. I don't think we're going to hear his name again this season. So that brings up a couple things. One, does he ever pop up at all? I still think that's a legitimate possibility that it was just a fun name drop to get people excited, but they don't really have any plans. Option number two is that they make him the next level bad guy after Gideon. So he's the, he's the level up bad guy after Gideon. That is one possibility. A third possibility here, again, this is nothing that's ever been talked about or confirmed by anybody, but a third possibility is Bob Iger said last year that they're looking at taking maybe some characters from Mandalorian and giving them a spinoff. Maybe Ahsoka Tano with Rosario Dawson is one of those spinoffs and, and the foil of that one would be Grand Admiral Thrawn. So there's three possibilities there. Rob, do you, can you see other possibilities besides that and which one do you lean towards? Well, first of all, I, I think that anyone who watched the last episode of The Mandalorian, if they announced an Ahsoka Tano show tomorrow, people would be jumping for joy. And and I, as far as, dude, I've always, I love Grand Admiral Thrawn, uh, you know, and if you told me that they were making an Ahsoka Tano show and the big bad was Grand Admiral Thrawn or the, that Grand Admiral Thrawn was the, was the actual architect behind the First Order. Uh, as a matter of fact, why not make him the head of the first order? And we just haven't seen him. <laughs> I mean, I would be like, yes, I would love to see something like that. And, um, 
I, I, you know, I think they are going to give, if I were to bet John, I think that that response to Ahsoka Tano was so big that I think they will. I think they're going to make a, a Ahsoka Tano show because as you well know, Dave Filoni created that character, loves that character and that character got a huge reception. So in terms of villains or anything and who's going to show up, I think we have a bigger ch- – I mean I, I, all I know for a fact is I think they're going to make an ah- Ahsoka Tano show. This was absolutely a backdoor pilot. That's what they thought about when they did it. It was well-received, and that's what I think is going to happen. Here's how, I don't big know about- the, here's how big the response to the Ahsoka Tano character was in, in that thing. I hate that character. <laughs> uh, although although I say I hate the character, but there are moments that characters used in Rebels where I thought they used it pretty well. But I don't like the character. I don't like the Ahsoka character at all. I think it's a lame character. I think it's lame that people like her. But whatever, that's fandom. We all have things we like and don't like in fandom. I really liked Ahsoka in that episode. I know, right? I mean, what the fuck bigger endorsement can you get than that? The guy that doesn't even <laughs> like that damn character is going... That was really good. If I'm yeah. saying that, like, then then something weird is going on. So, yeah, we'll have to see. We'll have to see. All right. Uh, let's move on here. Uh, Ali Hussein writes, do you think it's possible that Thrawn sent Moff Gideon to retrieve Grogu? Yeah, it can. But but here's the thing that you got to keep in mind is that at least according to a lot of the legend stuff, after the fall of the Empire and Return of the Jedi, the Empire became very splintered. The remnants of the Empire became very splintered, and that's covered in a lot of different stories. So it could very well be nothing, or it could be that, you know, Gideon and Thrawn are still are working in coordination, or it very well could be that Gideon is doing his thing with the remnant of the Empire that he maintained control over, over and maybe uh, Grand Admiral Thrawn is doing his own independent thing. With a portion and a, and a, a segment of the fragments of the remaining empire, that's all possible as well, I suppose. Uh, Rob, one of the things that becomes problematic, though, is I'm not now. Obviously, I know you read the Heir to the Empire series with Grand Admiral Thrawn. Have you read the the newest Grand Admiral Thrawn books? The series of books of Grand Admiral Thrawn? No, but I'm that are I'm supposed to be canon. Too. Yeah, I, 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 to me, that's such a weird. It's such a weird thing that they there were these Grand Admiral Thrawn books that I am familiar with. You know, they're almost thirty years old now, and those aren't canon. But Timothy Zahn wrote new Thrawn books that are. It's kind of weird, but yeah. uh, I have not read them. I want to read them. They created them in canon, and so like uh, books like Treason, uh, and like Grand Admiral Thrawn. So these 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 new sets of three books that he has. Uh, so there's just Thrawn, and then there's uh, Treason, and then there's Alliances. Actually, Alliances came next, where he's actually working with Darth Vader and stuff like that. One of the biggest problems with Thrawn right now, especially since they say that these books are canon. These just came out in the last couple of years. These books are absolute canon. And when you read these books, they happen at the same time as a lot of the events going on in Rebels because Thrawn will actually reference and talk about events going on in Rebels at the same time, right? He even talks about the fact that he captured Harrison Dua and he's got to go go back and deal with that sort of thing, right? The problem is, and you'll see this once you read these books. I, I would love for you to read these books and then give me your input because one of the big problems is despite the fact that Star Wars says it's all canon – and they clearly connect these books to the events of Rebels. 
the Grand Admiral Thrawn character in the books is a totally, completely different character than the Grand Admiral Thrawn we see in Rebels. In Rebels, he's cruel, cold, and calculating, yes, but there is also a viciousness. He's clearly a villain. When you watch Rebels, he's clearly a villain. When you read these Thrawn books, there's an inherent fairness to him. There's even an inherent kindness. He is the hero of those books, and they portray him in a way that is completely different than the way they portray him in Rebels. Quite frankly, I prefer the Admiral Thrawn we get in the books, uh, but they're going to have to, it's going to be interesting to see how they rectify that. And do they lean more towards the Rebels incarnation of Thrawn, or do they lean them a little bit more towards a sympathetic antagonist um, from, from the books? I mean, I, I don't know which way they're going to go, but Rob, I would love for you to check those books out and uh, give yeah. me your thoughts. Yeah, I wouldn't mind. I mean, it it would make me, you know, I've got I don't just have the Thrawn, the original Thrawn trilogy. I have the the hardcover comic adaptation collected, you know, and I always like that too. <laughs> but I would love to read those new books. Um, uh, you know, I, I would. Although I, I haven't been reading a lot of. I mean, I still read Star Star Trek tie in fiction, but I have not read a lot of um of Star, Star Wars, Wars. tie. Have you fiction. have you read Lords of the Sith? No. Or Lost Stars? No, I know you. Everyone's high. You you make me want. Every time I hear people talk about Lost Stars, it makes me want to read Lost Stars. Read Lost Stars and read Lords. I think Lords of the Sith is the best Star Wars novel. Uh, certainly in in the in the canon era, I think Lost. Uh, uh, what I just say, Lords of the Sith, is the best one there. But I really want you to read the Thrawn ones. I, I'm fascinated to know what you would think of the Thrawn ones. But yeah. anyway, so, sorry, guys, I've, I've killed a lot of time. Let's move on here, shall we? Next one up, Ali Hussein writes, do you think that Moff Gideon is working under the orders of Grand Admiral Thrawn? I don't think so, but it is absolutely a distinct possibility. Uh, he would be his superior officer there. Because remember, it's not Grand Moff Gideon. It's Moff Gideon. He ain't um, Tarkin. Gideon isn't Tarkin. He doesn't have the same rank or whatever that Tarkin did. So he's not Grand Moff. So I think he would probably be under Grand Admiral Thrawn. Uh, Al Hussein also writes, the rumors going around that maybe Mace Windu is still alive. What's your thoughts on that? Uh, again, unlikely, but not something I would fall out of my chair in shock and surprise if he pops up in the next episode of Mandalorian. So, But I think, but I still think quite unlikely, but we'll see. Uh, Baylor Girl writes, love laser swords. I love it when they throw in the, the laser swords thing. It's just a little wink and a nod to that. I like that too, Baylor Girl. Uh, Quintus Deshin writes, like many other Disney Plus subscribers, I watched the newest Mandalorian episode with my younger cousin. During Ahsoka's reveal, we both just stared silent at each other like two deer <laughs> caught in front of floodlights. My favorite episode thus far. What are your thoughts? I thought it was a very good episode. And and like Rob, I was saying earlier, um, a testimony to how good I thought the episode was, was I'm the guy that doesn't even like this character. I'm annoyed by this character normally. The portrayal in this episode was great. And you know what made it extra great is that, and, and I think this speaks to Dave Filoni, who didn't know shit about directing live action. He said so himself in, in, in the episode. He said, I have no idea what I'm doing. I don't know how to do live action. I think it is a testimony to his growth and maturation as a director. Because, you know, I was worried because Dave Filoni, 
he has a habit, as much as I like Dave Filoni, he has a habit of taking Ahsoka Tano, making her the centerpiece of everything. He eventually turned Clone Wars into the Ahsoka Tano show. He even had to have Rebels, which is a, a separate show, and had to bring her into it and make her, she's the one who had the big grand epic fight with the big bad guy. And so I was worried she, he was going to bring Ahsoka Tano into Mandalorian and make it all about her. But he didn't. He brought her in. And he used her the exact same way he used Bo-Katan, the exact same way they used the Marshal in episode one of season two. They used her simply in the role of the next piece of the puzzle that moves Mando onto the next stage of the journey. And I think by not making her the absolute centerpiece and not making and making sure the show was still about baby Yoda and still about Mando and not making the universe revolve around her. Like I was afraid he would do by not doing that. He actually made the character more interesting to me. He made the character more likable to me. And I think that was also a testimony to that growth as a live action director that I said we were going to see in Dave Filoni. I told you the next time we see him direct live action, it's going to be exponentially better than the first couple of things he did. And I think that was a sign of that. I don't know. What what do you think about all that? No, I think you're right. It still wasn't up to par. I mean, I loved the the cinematography and the look of it all. A lot of people have been comparing the the way it looked to a Kurosawa thing, especially like in the forest and all of that. People calling I it space. I heard people calling the location Space Japan. Yeah, it was space Japan. And it was I, feudal I, Japan. It felt kind of like feudal Japan in many ways, like yeah, a Kurosawa film. Yeah, it really film. did. It, it absolutely did. Although I, I kept wondering, like, where is Ahsoka Tano sleeping? Is Dude, she I, Ann and I said the same thing uh, in our in our Because like, Bo-Katan says she's off on this planet. It's like, so what? She's been camping out in the woods for th- four right. weeks? Like, where is she? Is her ship there? Like, And she had to have been there. I mean, Bo-Katan either has been talking to her or, or visited her there. And I'm like, where? She's just like in the woods. That was weird. But the rest of it, uh, I, I, I really, I really did enjoy. I thought he's he's definitely developing his chops as a live action director, and visually, it was really ambitious, and all of that. And I and Michael look, Bean, I, dude, I, Michael Bean. I love you know. I love if him. Nothing, if nothing else, bringing people back like Michael Bean and Carl Weathers, I just love that. Because you know what it does? I mean, a lot of these guys, a lot of these actors who were popular decades ago or in these very popular films have found their careers certainly not not turning out the way that they had maybe hoped. And I love very Quentin T- Tarantino-esque. These guys, Filoni and, and probably Favreau, are going back and getting these actors they grew up with and that they love and putting them in the show. And I think that's one of my my favorite aspects of this show is just seeing all the actors getting Katie Sackhoff to play Bo Katan. I mean, I, I I just love all of these secondary characters. Werner uh, Werner Herzog. I mean, oh, come on, yeah. It's just Ming Na Wen. Yeah, and it's 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 just the, one of the joys of this show, and I I I love that aspect of it. You know, it's like when Quentin Tarantino would get like Robert Forrester, or Michael Parks, or something. To, yeah. Come back and, and, and I movies. agree with you. Overall, no. It, it it's was it my favorite episode of Mandalorian so far? No, probably not even in my top three. But right. it was great. It was great yeah. nonetheless. I really enjoyed it, and uh, I love it when something completely exceeds my expectations. I love and because yeah. you know my expectations were only so so going into that episode. At best, it was so so, and it blew my expectations away. And that's always a great thing. All right, next up, we got John Cooper who writes. 
Hey, John, love your show. Thank you so much, John. I am new to this, but a longtime fan. Anyhow, my question for you is, now that Wonder Woman is coming to HBO Max, could we expect HBO Max to come to Roku by then? I think it would be smart. Thank you, and viva la John Campy show. Well, thank you a lot for that, John. Yeah, Rob, listen, I... I would say there's a very strong – I'll go as far as to say this. I'll be really surprised if HBO Max is not on Roku by the time Wonder Woman 80, 84 comes out. We've already seen that they were able to negotiate and get the deal done with Amazon Fire Stick. We now have a clear picture of what the issues were, uh, and we've already heard that Roku and HBO are talking. So, yeah, I think for – HBO to get as much bang for their buck out of this move of moving Wonder Woman 84 to HBO Max, which we can debate whether that's a good move or a bad move, but that's a separate issue. But if they want to get as much bang for their buck out of putting this thing on HBO Max, they've got to be on the world's largest streaming platform, which is Roku. They got the deal with Amazon done. I think we will see it on Roku by Christmas Day. I don't know that for sure, but I think that we will. What do you think? I, I think Absolutely. You know, it, it, everybody's in. Everybody wants to make cash. Everyone's in it for a buck. And and if, if there's places where they can make more money, it'll get there eventually. I, that's what they want. And I think that it, I think no one has to worry. Yeah, I was yeah. happy. I, I was happy to see HBO uh, Max show up on my Fire Stick. Yay! Because um, I, I don't have Roku, uh, but I I think everything is going to be everywhere at some point. It's just right. going to take a little while. Let's move on here. Next up, Timbula the Spider Monkey writes, somebody asked about great first date movies the other day. I took a girl to the release of The Exorcist in 2001 as our first date. And when she told me she loved it, uh, I knew she was the girl for me. We're still together today. That is awesome. Good story. Yeah, like, like so somebody asked about which movies. And I said, look, the key to a good first date movie is one that is heavy on the experiential nature of the movie. So that means a great comedy because a lot of laughing. That's an experiential event. But I also said a good, scary horror movie is also a great first date. Once again, because it really plays into the higher experiential eventness of it to give you guys because after at a first date, once you come out of that movie, now the two of you, whether you're perfect strangers to each other and you just met or or you've known each other for a while, you now have a shared experience together. And that is a great start. And I love your pick of, of uh, movies there, Timbula. And that is awesome that you guys are still together to this day. Uh, H. James writes, hey, man, I've been a fan for years. Thank you so much, H. James. I appreciate that. My filthy shirt came in. Anyway, I saw your documentary and it was great. Do a spoiler review discussion on it. I want to speak on what I saw with the fans and you. Yeah, you know what? I think I will. I mean, I know only so many people. <laughs> you know, it's not like we do a spoiler review of Mandalorian. You know, millions of people have seen it. But you know what? I think I will. I think just for fun. I think, Rob, you and I should both do like a – to join – do a sp open spoiler discussion on the movie with the fans and stuff like that and uh, and go oh, for yeah. that. I, th I think that would, that would be fun. I, I'm into it. I like All when right. we do those things. I've missed it. We haven't done anything like that in a long time. Yeah, maybe – well, hopefully we'll be able to do that with Wonder Woman 84. That would be good yeah. to do. All right. Thanks but for that. Do we have H to wait, John? I, and I, I am, I, let me ask you. How long do we wait before doing a spoiler review when uh, Wonder Woman drops on HBO Max? Three days. Yeah? 
Yeah, right. I mean, I mean that's that's why that's and that's normally what we've normally done for the bigger movies too. Like when that's the new true. Avengers movies drop, we don't do the spoiler right away. We usually give it about three days. And then we do it so that everybody's had plenty of opportunity to see it if they wanted to. And, you know, then we do a spoiler discussion for those who want to. And those who haven't caught it yet, they can come back and watch it later. But I'd say, you know, maybe December 28th, 29th, something like that. I think we probably do that. But uh, we'll see. Uh, unless the movie totally sucks and neither of us want to talk about it anymore. But <laughs> we'll find out. I've, I still have faith in Patty Jenkins, man. Anyway, thanks for that, H. James. Uh, let's see. Ty, or Taylor B. writes, have you seen Netflix's new sketch show, Auntie Donna, Big Old House of Fun? I really enjoyed it, and it only has uh, six 20-minute episodes. So very easy to get through, but I'd recommend two sitting or passing. Uh, has cameos from Ed Helms, Anthony Starr, and Weird Al. Rob, I've never even heard of this. Have you heard of this show? No. Uh, again, another example, Taylor B., of Netflix. We don't know how to let people know about the stuff we're putting on our own network. I, I just don't get it. Now, one of the things that I think they should start doing what HBO does, Rob. HBO doesn't have commercials per se, but prior to a, a, a video starting, they'll run a quick promo of one or two things that are also on HBO and they'll end an episode with that. They do what they can to raise awareness of the content that is on their channel. And uh, Netflix is just terrible at that because this again, yeah. Auntie Donna's big old house. I've never even heard of it, Taylor, but I'll, I'll keep my eyes open for it. It sounds interesting. All right. Willow writes, since you have done a segment about this in your documentary, what do you think about the lawsuit over the trailer for drive? Does it have any substance or is it completely frivolous? Can a misleading movie trailer be considered the case for false advertising? All right. Thanks for writing that in Willow. And for those of you who don't know what Willow's talking about, um, there is, uh, to this day, it's still ongoing. There is a lawsuit, and we talk about this a little bit in my documentary. There's a lawsuit going on regarding the movie, the Ryan Gosling film Drive. And the lawsuit is based on the fact, well, there's a few elements to it, but one of the elements of that lawsuit is the fact that the trailers for Drive are horribly misleading. They really make you think the movie is something completely different than what it is. You watch that move, that trailer for Drive, and you think, oh, this is going to kind of be like an action, kind of a Fast and the Furious with a heist kind of angle to it and blah, blah, blah. And for those of you who have watched Drive, that is not that movie at all, but that's what they kind of marketed it. Is a completely misleading trailer false marketing? Yes, it is. Should studios do that and should the gay get away with it? No, they shouldn't. And consumers should hold them accountable for that. But is there actual legal basis for suing them? The answer to that is no. Because if you want to sue a, a studio for a misleading trailer, the onus is on you to prove that they were deliberately trying to mislead the audience. And how do you do that, Rob, when every clip that was in that trailer is from the movie? We're showing you stuff that's in the movie. How <laughs> you interpret that is on you. And is it a little underhanded? Yes. Is it a little devious? Yes. But is it legally liable? No. And that's why this this court case has never really gone anywhere and never really will. I don't know, Rob, do you, you got an opinion on that? 
Well, I mean, if you think Ryan Gosling is only going to be in movies like The Notebook, and then you wind up <laughs> taking you and your friends to go see Drive after that scene in the elevator, I think you'd be like, uh-oh. But, I, I mean, uh, this – we live in a really very – our civilization is too litigious, especially in the United States. And um, if something isn't the way you want it to be, that doesn't mean it isn't the way other people like it to be. So why – why do you think you get to arbitrate whether or not something is good or whether they're telling the truth or what have you? It's just bizarre. All right, let's move on here. Uh, next up, Kevin Lewis writes, uh, John, so you're not a big fan of the Iron Spidey with his Swiss Army knife-like suit, but just like a police officer who has multi-tiered levels of engagement, first taser, then handgun, then long gun, then trunk uh, in the trunk, let Spider-Man upgrade as needed. Now, that's bullshit. <laughs> Sorry, I know. There are a lot of people. Just, that's bullshit. Spider-Man has been around for like 60 years with his Spider-Man costume, and that was cool enough. And then the MCU comes along, and don't get me wrong, you know I like the Spider-Man movies in the MCU. I do. I really like Homecoming, and I really like Far From Home. So I understand that. But it has always bothered me that they fundamentally changed the character of Spider-Man into Iron Man Jr. Spider-Man's powers aren't cool enough, says the MCU. Spider-Man's not cool enough. You know what kitties love? Kitties love the tech gadgets. Kitties love Iron Man. Let's make Spider-Man Iron Man Jr. Let's give him an Iron Man suit with its own built-in AI and all these magical powers and all this. Let's give, let's give that to Spider-Man. And I'm just sitting there. No, no, don't do that. Now, I'm not going to deny, Rob, that the costume looks awesome. I'm not going to deny that the costume looks awesome. Of course it does. <laughs> yes, but it I does. still think it's utterly preposterous that they changed that. And, and again, I say that as somebody who is a fan of the movies. I love the Tom Holland Spider-Man. I almost said Tom Arnold for some reason. I love the Tom Arnold Spider-Man. I love the Tom Holland Spider-Man. I really enjoy those movies. I do. But it does irk me a little again that they just said Spider-Man's not cool enough. You have to make him Iron Man Jr. That's the only way he's cool. And uh, I don't like that. Make him Spider-Man again. That's why I liked, what do they call him in Spider-Man Far From Home? Night Monkey? No, or something like that? Yeah. I, I'd rather have that. Just give me that. I don't know. But Rob's got to, Robert Meyer Burnett's got to have his hot toys, ladies and gentlemen. Hey, look, man. You know, in terms of like the Iron Spider, I like that when we saw him in the Civil War comic. I think it makes sense. I mean, how else is Peter Parker going to be holding onto the side of a spaceship and make it into space if he doesn't have Stark tech around him? protecting him from the elements from from the vacuum of space but look i i think you're you have a very valid point to make john because spider-man is a character that it, it, he relies on his wits and his own ability his own scientific ability to make web shooters and to make his own costume i can understand that but for me the in the continuity within the continuity of the mcu i did like this sort of mentor relationship tony stark and um, uh, Peter Parker had and it seemed it, it worked for the MCU but I do think there was maybe an over-reliance on that and I'm hoping that in the next Spider-Man film they're going to move more away from that and Spider-Man's going to realize you know I'm, I'm leaning on Stark Tech too heavily and I need to develop my own bad self if I'm going to continue on protecting uh, the neighborhood that I'm supposed to be so friendly towards you know, you know what I liken it on to why it bothers me? It's like, you know what? We're going to make a new Batman movie. 
but let's say at the beginning, but you know who people, people like Shazam, Rob, people like Shazam. You know what would be cool? Let's at the beginning of the next Batman movie, let's have him find the crystal of our Shahal Mala. I don't know what, I'm just making something up. He finds this mystical crystal and it gives him, it gives Batman super speed and invulnerability too. And that's Batman now. It's like, no, Batman's cool enough. He doesn't need the crystal of Al-Shahal Mahal. He doesn't need that. He doesn't have to have super speed. Dude, you He's realize Batman. someone's going to make a drawing yes. of crystal of Al-Shahal Mahal. And there's people, there's Warner story. Brothers reps right now going, that sounds like a good idea. <laughs> and I just ruined Batman, everybody. I just completely ruined Batman. Batman Dark Metal 2. <laughs> the powers of Al-Shahal Mahal. Whatever. <laughs> Is somebody that make God? that t-shirt somebody is make that, that a deity that we're, we're, we're you know, somebody get a hold of boss logic and tell him to make that poster for that that next <laughs> batman and the crystal of Al-Shahal mahal get get boss logic on that i want to see that poster okay why not because why not all right next up uh chris writes and he tips in 20 dollars. thank you chris for supporting the channel on that level man hey john i know i've said this on uh, the show a couple of times but if you get a chance would you be willing to do a review of the documentary i am heath ledger no uh i'd love to hear your thoughts on it if you can't it's all good hope you're doing well no this, and i am very interested in watching it because you and a couple of other people have told me that's really quite good and i do love stories like that so i am going to check out that documentary Absolutely. But I won't be reviewing it. Uh, I just kind of have a rule for myself that if if I can't get a review, uh, like an official review up of something within just a couple of days of it being released, um, then I just won't do it. Then I just don't put up a review. It's just that simple. You know, I, I was going to do a review of the new Christmas movie on Netflix, The Happiest Season, with uh, Mackenzie Davis, uh, Dan Levy, uh, Kristen Stewart. Um, and I was going to do a review of it, but it's been, a, it's been out for days already. And so I ultimately decided not to do a review. So no, I won't be doing a review of it, but I am going to check it out and, I, and I'll probably just kind of give my thoughts on it in a live chat at some point about what I think of it. Um, cause I am very interested in it, but thanks for asking that, Chris. I appreciate it. And thanks for putting it on my radar, man. I really appreciate that dude. All right. Next up. Darklock 63 writes, according to Star Wars Rebels fandom, Ezra is two days older than Luke and Leia. I have not read uh, Star Wars Rebels fandom. Uh, I haven't read that. But yeah, I mean, it makes sense. I mean, you, you can look at the age and you know they're roughly around the same age. So whether he was born same day, a few days apart, a month apart, whatever. That makes sense to me, Darklock. That, that totally seems consistent. Uh, all right. Next up, Orange Hand writes, I really like Star Wars, Daddy. Which trilogy is next? Well, Geo Jr., you can pick up the one with the clear plan and strong story, but was poorly written and acted, or uh, the one that is better made overall, but consistently shifted gears and ended up a disjointed mess. Yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of where you're at with your, you got the original trilogy. I still contend that the, the sequel trilogy is better than the prequel trilogy, but I will always, the one thing that the, the prequel trilogy absolutely had over the sequel trilogy was a clearly pre-thought out and laid out plan. May not have been the best plan, but it was a clearly laid out and clearly charted plan. That's what George brought to the prequels. Now, I still think it ended up as a big mess, but it was all consistent with itself. It had a clear direction and purpose, and you've always got to give that one to that. All right. Uh, Johnny5619 writes, so I've had Shit's Creek on my watch list for four years. You made me do it, and I loved it. Just finished it. Now I'm in tears watching the doc, the documentary about shooting the final season of Shit's Creek. Best wishes and warmest regards. Did you watch it, and what did you think I did? After Ann and I finished watching the final, because we binged 
all of Shit's Creek in a matter of two weeks, I think. Anyway, um, and after binging all of it, we watched, we immediately saw there was a documentary on the making of the final season, and it was amazing. It was absolutely amazing. And of course, Daniel Levy, who is also in that happiest, uh, happiest season movie that's on Netflix right now, and he's great in that. He's the exact same character. Okay. If you like Shit's Creek, Dan Levy is the exact same character from, from the, the like, there's no difference in how he acts, but he's awesome and delightful in it. And it was wonderful. Johnny five. And I love that little documentary and I'm glad you got on the show and you were able to go, Rob, didn't you say that Elizabeth was, was starting to, to watch it? Oh, she watched all of Shit's Creek. And while I didn't sit down with her and watch every episode, I watched episodes throughout all the seasons. And you know what I loved about Shit's Creek is it was created by Eugene Levy and his son. Yep. They created the show. And I really like seeing his character develop, you know, kind of he got more and more a little flamboyant, let's say, over the course of the show. And I I, I and he directed a lot of episodes. You know that he was one of the people that won one year for the Emmys, he won for writing, directing, acting and producing. In one year. Yeah, he was the Schitt's first Creek. guy. He was the first guy ever, if I'm not mistaken, yeah. uh, to win ever, all the yeah. awards. He won all the awards. And, you know, I have to tell you, the, the two shows that we've been enjoying here in the household have been Shit's Creek and Kim Kim's Convenience because of you. Yes. <laughs> I had never heard of Kim's Convenience before. What a delightful show that is. And I'll tell you something else. It, it For me, it's now the Troika along with um, – Along with um, uh, why am I drawing a blank on it? You know, uh, 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 Kenny, uh, uh, Kenny, Kenny, letter, oh, uh, uh, letter, letter, Kenny, letter, Kenny, letter Kenny uh, as the three, the troika of three shows from Canada that I think have a, a uniquely Canadian sensibility, and that's one of the reasons that I love those shows so much. And they were shows that all of them I wouldn't have paid much attention to unless it was you who was talking about them. Because yeah, I, I, I never even heard of – and now Kim's Convenience is everywhere, not just because of The Mandalorian, but suddenly people are just talking about it. They've discovered it. And and especially once you get into like season two of Kim's Convenience, what a delightful show. I love those characters. Yeah. And, I, you uh, know, it's in, as a Canadian, I was completely late to the boat on both Kim's Convenience and Schitt's Creek. I only yeah. both got into both of them this year. And, right. and I'm watching them and like now they are two of my absolute favorite sitcoms, by the way. So the one character, not only are Dan Levy and Eugene uh, Levy, uh, Dan, I keep saying Levy, uh, Dan Levy and Eugene Levy, father and son. But the the girl, one of the other main supporting characters, the girl who runs the cafe, Twyla, is also yeah. Eugene Levy's daughter and, right. and Daniel's sister. It's a real family affair. And of course, Eugene and O'Hara have been working together for 40 years. They were working together for 40 years. And what's great, Rob, is uh, if you get a chance, tell Elizabeth to watch it too. There's this uh, Best Wishes and Warmest Regards. It's the documentary about the making of the final season. They were talking about how, well, we got the CBC to agree to make this pilot. And we thought, well, let's get Catherine. Let's see if we can get Catherine to be in it for the pilot, like just the pilot. So we right. can get this show greenlit. So she comes in and does the pilot for him. CBC greenlights it. And they're like, 
So how do we convince her to actually come back for the show now? And she wasn't going to do it and all this kind of stuff. And then they talked her into coming to do it. Then she wins the Emmy. And it's a great show. So I could I could talk about shit. Seriously, I could talk about Shit's Creek all day. The show is an absolute masterpiece. If there's a reason it won every Emmy this year. Best actor, best supporting actor, best actress, best supporting actress, best writing, best director, best producing. Like it, it swept. It swept everything. It was absolutely crazy and it was totally, totally deserved. Anyway, let's keep moving here. Uh, let's see. Next up is uh, Christopher Chow, who tips in $20. Thank you for the support, Christopher. Christopher writes, hey, John, I'm still calling it Baby Yoda. You and me both, buddy. I, listen, I got no problem with the name uh, Grogu. I have no problem. Although at first I thought he said Goku when she said the name. I thought it's like, well, we're, mix, we're mixing in some Dragon Ball. There we go. But uh, Grogu. Yep. Grogu, the name's fine. Whatever. But I still call it Baby Yoda. Also, Daredevil rights are back with Marvel. Time to reboot the show. Too bad Netflix owns the rights to the Charlie Cox version. Would love to see a season four. Vincent D'Onofrio sure wants it to happen. Yeah. But they're again, I, we will see, Rob, look, I, I have very little doubt that we are going to see Daredevil on the screen again. That I have very little doubt. But there's massive doubt that it'll ever be the Charlie Cox version or the D'Onofrio version of Kingpin, which is too bad because D'Onofrio's Kingpin, one of the best comic book villains, not just on television. I think that iteration was one of my favorite on-screen movie or TV iterations of any villain any time. But there are two big roadblocks. Number one, those iterations of the characters specifically do belong to Netflix. The characters themselves belong to Marvel, but those iterations belong to Netflix. So there's a problem, number one. The other big hurdle, Rob, is this. Kevin Feige doesn't like to play with other people's toys. Kevin Feige, this is the reason a lot of things that were let go before because Kevin Feige wants his iteration. And that's part of the things that has made MCU so great is Kevin Feige has maintained a very tight very narrow quality control on things. And I just don't see him wanting to incorporate anything from the Netflix portion of the universe. None of the movies ever referenced anything to do with the Netflix shows ever. Um, so I think those are the two big things. Rob, do you think there's, first of all, do you think we'll see daredevil at all? And if so, do you think there's any chance it could be, we could ever see the Charlie Cox version again? Well, I think we are going to see Daredevil at some point. Daredevil is a real, to me, to my mind, a cornerstone character of the Marvel Universe. And I I think we will see him. I, you know, like you said, Kevin Feige wants to build things up because he has to make them work within the confines of his larger universe. So he doesn't want to have to shoehorn other iterations of the characters into that universe. He's going to build them up the way he wants to build them up. And, you know, the question remains, let's say they bring up uh, uh, remember there's there's a huge continuity they now have in the Marvel Cinematic Universe all the way back to like the dawn of time. But but even in terms of starting in World War Two, all the way up to the present day. And the question would be, well, if Daredevil has previously existed in the Marvel Universe, why haven't any of the other characters interacted with that character? Or why hasn't he been a part of what was going on in New York? What was Daredevil doing during you know, the Chitauri attack in the first Avengers. So one of the things I think that's facing, one of the issues facing the Marvel Cinematic Universe in bringing these characters in is where they come into the Marvel Universe. Do, do they, do they, do, does Daredevil become Daredevil now? You know, did, did his father, did he lose his eyesight as a kid, say, when Captain Marvel first came to Earth? So they're going to have to figure all of that out. 
So I think they're going to they're going to do everything from scratch. And that's going to be the same thing that's true of the X-Men, although the Eternals is going to provide something interesting because, of of course, apparently covers thousands of years of time. And, John, why don't we have an Eternals trailer? Why? I I don't think they've when's it supposed to come out again? They pushed it It all the way to come out this year. Yeah, but but the the new release date right now isn't for a while, isn't it? Hold on a second. Um release let me look up eternals release date the eternals release date well it's saying february 12th but i thought it was later than that now i thought it was later than that now whole second for some reason i had it um i had it pegged as much 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 later than that where where is it saying it's releasing now no no yeah yeah it's not february they did move it to february for a short bit it's not coming out till november it's still a year away. That's why we don't have a trailer. It's still a year away. We haven't. I just want to see something. I know. Anything. But you know what? Um, what's his name? Why am I freezing on his uh, on his name? Uh, Kamel Nagiani. Kamel Nagiani is more than happy to keep flashing his new body pics all over the place. <laughs> he looks Which, by good. the way, he looks great. I'm not trying to bag on him for that. Like you go from being the scrawny little guy he was to being this freaking ripped dude. You know how much work that takes. Good, go ahead. You flash that, Camille. You flash that all over the place. But that's we're gonna have to do with that for probably another four or five months until we get to see a trailer. All right. Next up, Ashley M writes. I loved your documentary. Thank you so much for that, Ashley. I appreciate that very much. Uh, you should check out the new Kristen Stewart Christmas movie on Hulu, Happiest Season. Great cast, including Allison Brie and Aubrey Plaza. Solid comedy with a good, heartfelt ending. I will tell you what. I don't want to give too much of the movie away. And Rob, I don't know if you had a chance to check it out. No, because Elizabeth was tired. And I can't watch a Christmas movie without her. Aubrey Plaza's great in it. Um, Allison Brie was really good. Mackenzie Davis was really like, I like everybody who's in it. Yeah. The problem was, I'm going to tell you right now, I hated the ending. I hated the ending. Really? Because as, as my wife, Anne put it while watching it last night, that girl was a total bitch. This whole movie. I mean, that for those of you who've seen the movie, you know what I'm talking about. So I didn't like the way it ended. Because one character is totally unlikable throughout the whole thing. But whatever. Uh, there is that. Overall, I enjoyed the movie. I did. I did enjoy Happiest Season. It's got some really good moments. Um, and I liked it overall. I just didn't like the ending. That's all. I didn't think that I didn't think the ending was consistent with the rest of the movie. But that's just me. All right. Uh, let's get one or two more in here while Rob's still with us. An anonymous viewer writes. I've been working overtime in a COVID clinic and didn't get a chance to watch The Mandalorian yet. Sadly, Boss Logic posted some spoilers. And I was wondering, is The Mandalorian now a kind of show where I should block all social media until watching it? Well, I mean, here's the thing, man. That brings up the issue that we were talking about before. Is that when it comes to television, I believe with television, there is a different, there needs to be understood a different level of expectation as to what a spoiler is and what the time frame is of discussing big plot points in something. Again, it's not like a movie where the movie just hits theaters. You got to give people time to get out to the theaters. And then once it's done a theatrical run and, and we're, we're a couple of years away from the next movie in that series coming out. This is a TV show that aired publicly where everybody could watch it. It's been up for if it's been up for more than 24 hours and we've got another episode coming in a matter of days. 
the general fan population has got to be free to openly discuss, talk about whatever. So I give it 24 hours, maybe even less. Like, I don't want I don't want to be. Oh, I I, I missed the the showing of the show. Uh, I'm not going to be able to watch it till 10 p.m. tonight instead of at 8 p.m. Yeah, I don't want people loading up my social media with all the spoilers of what happens right away. But after about 24 hours, I think then the the onus. Rob, I see it this way. Within the first 24 hours, the onus is on the rest of us fans to try to protect everybody else who are fans of the show that hasn't had a chance to check it out quite yet. But after a day, the onus then goes, I believe, from everybody else who has seen it. The onus is now on the people who haven't seen it. And now it's your responsibility to avoid social media if you don't want to see anything, because I think the fan community has got to be able to openly talk about it. But anyway, Rob, I don't know. How do you see the difference of of like spoiler etiquette and protocol as it relates to television shows? Well, I, I mean, first of all, if you don't want spoilers, you have a choice not to go into social media. It's not like, you know, if I don't go on social media for three days, I have no idea what's been going on in the world. So I can be completely unspoiled. And I think that if something's on TV, it's like a live event. It's like a sporting event. I think you once said on the show, you know, if a, if a football game is played and the score is out, it's not a spoiler to hear that score. The game was played and the score has become a fact. So if a show drops, that that show's now become a fact. It's out in the world. And it becomes up to you then to avoid getting spoiled. And it's not, you know, it's really not hard to get spoiled, not get spoiled. Just don't turn your social media off. And if you really don't want to get spoiled, then I mean, all I need to do is if I don't have my phone on or I'm not by my computer, I mean, it's amazing to me in this day and age, I might sometimes want to watch all three Lord of the Rings movies. I'll put my phone away. I won't even look at my phone. 12 hours go by and I find out, wow, somebody died or or a plane crash or something. I had no idea. I could have just kept watching movies only because my phone, I put it away. And if you don't want to be spoiled, it's up to you to not be spoiled. And we we have to cover this stuff. That's our job. Yep, I agree. Uh, Rob? Awesome having you here today, as always. I know you got things you got to run and do, but we'll see you again tomorrow. In the meantime, where can people follow you and all of your online goodness? Well, you can follow me on Instagram at Burnett, uh, Robert Meyer Burnett or RM Burnett. You can find me on Twitter at Burnett RM, and you can find me over on my own YouTube channel, The Burnett Work, where we are still running the first Intergalactic Imagination Connoisseurs Film Festival. And throughout the month of December, you can catch up on all the films. And we're going to announce the semifinalists on Christmas Day and award the awards on New Year's Day. And that's on my channel, The Burnett Work. All right, dude. Thanks a lot for being here. And we will talk to you again later, my friend. Have a good one. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, that is the one and the only, the great Mr. Robert Meyer Burnett. For now, we still got a little bit of time. Let's keep get through your get. Uh, let's keep getting through your questions, shall we? We're gonna keep things going now here. With why did I hit the wrong thing? I hit the wrong thing because it should have been that. Uh, the next one up is Saberwolf writes. Hey, John, you said on this weekend's open mic that you have been watching My Hero Academia. Yes, I have. Um, It's one of my favorite shows. I will say I like Avatar. The first season is the slowest, but it really does pick up after that. Do you have a favorite character yet? Well, my favorite character in My Hero Academia so far is easily All Might. I mean, I, I love the All Might character. All Might is fantastic. I've finished the first season. 
I hate to say it, but I don't know that I'm going to watch the second season. Um, unlike Avatar The Last Airbender, where, I mean, there is, there's definitely elements of that show that are clearly made for children. Yes, there, there is a childish uh, aspect to it, but it maintains also a sense of maturity to it as well as it goes through and in telling its story and it never gets irritating. You know what I mean? That's why I liked Avatar The Last Airbender so much. This first season of My Hero Academia at times is honestly for me unwatchable because you take your two pri other than All Might, you take your other two primary characters. Uh, was it Daku? And uh, I keep forgetting the name of the, the firepower kid. Uh, catch him? Anyway. Those two characters are so annoying to hear speak. Because every time our main hero character is speaking, he's always whining and crying. And every line of dialogue, like, yeah, Aang in The Last Airbender, sometimes he would talk like this. But most of the time, he's just talking like this. Most of the time, he's talking about, well, we need to go here and we need to do this. Daku in My Hero Academia, every sick, single freaking annoying, irritating line is, oh, no, I got a blah, 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 and there's tears coming out of his eyes. And every single line of dialogue is just, this is irritating to watch and listen to. And then his counterpoint, the kid that's bullied him, I, I again, I think the pronunciation of his name is Kashim or something like that. Anyway, every line that he says He's completely talking like this. I'm going to smash you. You like every single thing. And I'm like, this is made for seven-year-olds. I mean, there's like Avatar, the last airbender is seven-year-old friendly, but I watching the first episode, the first season, I should say of my hero academia. It just feels like it's made specifically for seven-year-olds. And I just, I'm having a hard time with it. Even though I really like the world they've created and this whole idea of all these people, like 80% of the population have quirks. I love that they call it quirks and I love the whole idea structure of the Academy and like UA. I, I love, I, again, all might, I think it's awesome. The whole notion of what all might is and what all for one is. I really enjoy that. But when I can't stand watching the screen, when two of your main characters are on it, it makes it very difficult to get through. So I persevered through the entire first season and very cool villain at the end of the first season with the hands and everything. That was that was pretty cool. But I, I right now, I'm still not sure if I'm going to watch season two because I just found the first one, even though there's some really good mythology there, the characters make it very difficult to watch. So I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to do season two or not. We'll see. We'll see. I haven't closed the door on it yet, but we'll see. Uh, let's see. Let's move on here. Uh, Luke one two three four writes, "Hey John, uh, we all know you loved Beyond Words, the original Star Wars trilogy. My question is, regardless of how much you love it, can you find one item in each film you don't like? And I'm not counting the George Lucas special editions. Not really, not really. I mean, there might be a few nitpicks, like the way the way I, I get it. Luke is a farm kid. Obviously, the 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 stereotypical, but I was going to go to Tashi Station. He had some power converters. Yeah, the way he said that, yeah, that could have been. But honestly, structurally, no, there's nothing I would change about any of those movies. There's honestly nothing I would change. John, are you saying those are perfect films? No. There's a difference between a perfect film and me saying I wouldn't personally change anything about something. Those are two different things. Don't confuse them. But uh, I really can't think of anything I would change about them myself. But that's just me. All right, next up. 
Uh, Ant had a great weekend, writes. Uh, what I've watched Thursday, Coco and Man of the Year. I kind of like Man of the Year. Uh, Friday, I drove to the next county over and got to see Tenet on the big screen. Great. Saturday, I saw Wall Street, Insomnia, Ocean's 13, Fargo. Uh, Sunday, I saw Big Eye. I wasn't a big fan of Big Eye. No pun intended. I wasn't a big fan of Big Eyes. Uh, audition and No Country for Old Men. Dude, you've had a busy weekend. You got some great films in there. Wall Street, that's a great classic. Greed is good. Greed works. Um, no Country for All Men, you got some, you had got some good work in there this weekend, Ant. Well done. All right, David Crabtree writes. I really enjoy the episodic nature of Mandalorian. And while I enjoy seeing Bo-Katan and Ahsoka pop in, I hope the show doesn't devolve into being a Star Wars Easter egg show. I love seeing the characters uh, the show has introduced and established like Cara Dune. I agree. Now, and and like I said, while I very much, very much enjoyed the Bo-Katan episode, loved it, while I very much enjoyed the Ahsoka, surprisingly, but while I very much enjoyed the Ahsoka Tano episode, I agree with you. I Part of the allure of Mandalorian was it was finally Star Wars expanding the universe, seeing new things, meeting new characters. My biggest criticism of Star Wars of the past bunch of years has been they just keep shrinking the universe. Every time we step into the world of Star Wars, we're bumping into characters we already know and we've already seen. And Mandalorian to me was the promise of moving beyond that. And they do seem to be devolving a little bit. So once in a while, love it. But I agree with you. I don't want them to turn Mandalorian into Rebels 2.0. As much as I like Rebels, I don't want it to be Rebels 2.0. I want it to maintain to be a vehicle that is used to expand the universe, to give us new characters and new worlds and new adventures. Um, I, I And while I'm okay with the stuff they've done so far, I don't hope they become relying on that because it's just it just becomes a cheap gimmick at some point. So I, I'm in agreement with you, David. I am. So let's see how they handle things moving forward. All right. Ryan Lohner writes. One of two. I finished Sons of Anarchy season three. Nice. When a season starts off by pulling a Ned Stark, it raises certain expectations. And this one actually lived up to them. I feel like I understand so many characters better now. Plus, Stephen King. Stephen King is such a cool character in it. He, he recurs, I think, one more time. I, if I'm not mistaken, I think he recurs one more time. Sons, There is a reason Sons of Anarchy is my in my top three all-time favorite television shows. And I was a little late to the party on it. I just thought it looked some cheap show about a biker gang. Big deal. Sons of Anarchy is Shakespeare on motorcycles. It really is. Sons of Anarchy is Shakespeare on motorcycles. I it's it is one of the greatest things ever put on television. I absolutely love it. And while a lot of people didn't like season three, I particularly did. Ryan continues. Also, this is what she felt is up there with tell Cersei it was me. <laughs> yeah. And I have no clue how the following season can even try to top it. I'm on this show like Grogu on frog eggs. I'm telling you, man, it just to me, it just keeps getting better. And remember, a lot of people consider season three the weakest season of the series. There's a lot of people consider that to be the weakest season of the series. So you are in for it, man. You are totally in for it. I'm so glad you're on that show, Ryan. It, like I said, it's in my top three all-time favorites. All right. An anonymous viewer writes, ratings for Star Wars out of five stars. Uh, Phantom Menace, 1.5. 
Clone Wars. Please don't use uh, acronyms. Uh, Revenge of the Sith uh, 2. Uh, New Hope 4.5. Empire 4.5. Return of the Jedi 4. Uh, Force 3. Don't know what that means. Uh, Rogue 1, 4. Last Jedi 2.5. Solo 3. Rise 1. Mando 1 and 2, 4.5. Rise was the worst movie uh, in the series. Uh, terrible send-off for the Skywalker saga. Yeah, no, the, the worst... I mean, the rise of Skywalker is still a little bit better than all the prequels, but I really don't like the rise of Skywalker. I mean, and again, listen, I did like a 20 minute video explaining why for me, who is a fan of the Disney era Star Wars stuff, why for me, the rise of Skywalker simply did not work. And I did like a full 20 minute breakdown video of it. You can find it in the editorials section of uh, my YouTube channel, but uh uh, but it was bad. I don't think it was the worst of the bunch, but it was bad. <laughs> so, yeah, there, that's me. All right. Next up, James Germain writes part one of two. Hey, John, happy holidays. The other day, what you said about Thrawn being evil on Rebels, I never got that impression. I always felt he was like uh, Chiwetel Ejiofor's character in Serenity, a believer like Thanos, even believing they were saving the universe. Uh, I've learned that just because you're the villain of the story doesn't make you evil, just means you're on the wrong side of things. I find that compelling gives a unique perspective on the story. P.S. How good is Chiwetel's Ejiofor's Serenity pitter-patter? Listen, Chiwetel Ejiofor's, his villain, the operative in the Serenity movie, the the movie version of Firefly, is one of the greatest on-screen villains ever. And it's the role that put Chiwetel Ejiofor, now one of my favorite actors, it's the role that made him one of my favorite actors. It's amazing. Look, James, everything you're saying about what makes a villain great is true. But in Rebels, they clearly, there are a number of scenes where it's sometimes just outright explicitly shown and many times implied. Grand Admiral Thrawn in Rebels is an evil man. He is an evil man. Like a lot of villains, he has his own sense of code. He has his own sense of honor. But at the end of it, there is an inherent cruelty and there's an inherent evil to him in Rebels. Juxtapose that against the Thrawn that's in the Thrawn books, like alliances and treason and Thrawn. In the Thrawn books, the the canon Thrawn books, he's portrayed very, very differently. Like night and day differently. Both characters are very calculating, hyper-intelligent, analyzing things, all that kind of stuff. But one, there's an inherent kindness to the character. In the other, there is an inherent evil. And the when it, there are many, many moments in Rebels that really, to me, very, very cl- clearly show that that is an evil dude. Which is fine. Again, it's just the fact that it's so inconsistent with the Thrawn that we get in the novels, which is also supposed to be canon. So there's that. Anyway, next up. Oh. We accidentally skipped over one here. Nate Dog writes, I just finished reading the Thrawn trilogy by Timothy Zahn, and it was brilliant. I know Disney said the books aren't canon. Now, you're talking about the Heir to the Empire series because there are two Thrawn trilogies. There's the Heir to the Empire series that was done decades ago, and then there's the new Thrawn books that are canon and happen at the same time basically as Rebels, where it's Thrawn, Alliances, and Treason. Uh, those are the three books. So they're different. You're talking about the Heir to the Empire series. Uh, it was brilliant. I know Disney said the books aren't canon, but why not make the existing material canon and use it to make your movies? Why make three poor movies when the books are so good? The problem is that the events of Heir to the Empire are completely inconsistent with where they would say wanted their, their universe to be. 
And that just wasn't a movie to do. Uh, now, don't get me wrong. The Heir to the Empire book franchise are overall my favorite Star Wars books. My favorite Star Wars books in the new canon era are, like I said, Lords of the Sith, Lost Stars, uh, books like that. But it is fantastic. But they just decided, you know what? All those books, there's a lot of stupid stuff that happens in those in that era of Star Wars books. A lot of stupid stuff happens. Like a lot of stupid, stupid stuff happens. Um, and that's why the books were never considered true canon. They were never considered true canon. So I think that's kind of why they went a different way. Because that's they just had a different idea for what the overall shape of the galaxy was, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just, you know, the execution wasn't quite there. All right, next up, Jay. Oh, that was James Weirder did. Uh, Nate Doug also writes, also, I'm getting ready to dive into the new Jedi collection. Do you or Rob have any recommended books uh, or series I need to read in the new Jedi books. Also, love your movie. I've always loved trailers, and it's nice to see a documentary about them. Thanks. Well, thanks for that, Nate Dog. Honestly, I I am not a big other than the um, other than the heir to the Empire's Admiral Thrawn trilogy. I'm really not a big fan of a lot of the books from that era. I would say bypass all that and just get into the uh, the new era of the books. That's honestly my recommendation and start with Lost Stars. That would be my best recommendation on that. But it, Nate Dog, thank you for checking out the movie and thanks for your kind words on my movie, man. All right, next up, Bucky Rocks writes, Captain America 2, so was it Hydra's plan to control the entire world with just Project Insight uh, info and three uh, helicarriers? Didn't realize until recently how ineffective that would have been against the entire world's military. Bucky was all... Uh, was all the needed. I'm not quite sure I'm following you. Well, no, but when you look at what Project Insight was, Project Insight wasn't the culmination of the plan, right? That wasn't the culmination of the plan. That was just the first big major step. Eliminate, if they could in one swoop, eliminate everybody who in the future could be big threats, that creates the next level playing field for them that was going to help them ultimately get to the ultimate end goal. It wasn't just about insight, wipe everybody, wipe all these people out now in three helicarriers, we can take over the world. No, it was that next step. It was the next step. So that's how I always kind of in interpreted it anyway, Ro uh, Bucky Rocks. All right, next up, um, Anthony Garola writes, hey, John, so I just rewatched Warrior. Oh, I love that movie. I just rewatched Warrior and man, does that ending get me every single time. I always lose it at that. I love you. Uh, I was wondering, is there a movie scene for you that you simply can't hold back the tears or even the dreaded ugly cry? Um, yeah. I mean, listen, one of the movies I always go back to is Best of the Best with James Earl Jones and Eric Roberts. I always go back to that movie. Always. You guys have heard me talk about it a million times, right? Dehan, the antagonist of the movie, it's at the end. He's got his gold medal. The Korean team and the American team, the Korean team just beat the American team. They've got their gold medals. And Dehan, his broken body, limps across the aisle, takes his gold medal off, puts it on Tommy, and says, I deeply regret the loss of your brother, and I offer myself as your new brother. Fuck! I like look at the look at the hair on my arm just thinking about that. That that moment is one of the greatest moments in cinematic history. 
One of the greatest moments in cinematic history, say I. It's amazing. That That's a moment to me that gets me every single freaking time. Uh, but Warrior is completely awesome. All right, next up, Aaron writes, Hey, John, how are you today? I am great. Thank you so much. I don't know if you saw the recently released stills for Cherry, but it looks very promising. Uh, what's your opinion on the cast for this film? And did you see the Russo brothers' recent comments on what the tone of the film will be? No, I have not. Uh, I haven't seen it. But listen, anything that's Russo, bro- although I got to say, uh, the Russo brothers have not done great to me since they left the MCU. 21 Bridges was quite bad. Um, then that was under their, their, their new production company that they did. And I thought it was quite bad. I know there were a bunch of people that liked extraction. I was very disappointed in extraction, a couple of fabulous action scenes. But other than that, I just thought it was a poorly done movie. Uh, but so, you know, cherry, you got Tom Holland, uh, Thomas Lennon, who I actually really quite like Thomas Lennon, as a matter of fact, uh, Jamie Brewer is in there. I I'm curious about it. Look, we've been talking about cherry for a lot of years, ever since that initial, uh, synopsis came out about it, about the dude coming back from war, suffering post-traumatic and, and involved in a lot of stuff. I am curious about it. I haven't, I haven't seen the new stills for it. Uh, stills for most movies don't really get me all that excited one way or the other, but I don't know. I honestly don't know where I'm at right now with my expectation level. Because like I said, the couple of films that they've been responsible for since they left the MCU and since Endgame, I have not been very happy with. But uh, this is a very cool sounding premise for a movie. I think it's based on a book and and I haven't read the book. If I'm not mistaken, I think it's based on a book, but I could be wrong about that. Um, but it's still the Russo brothers and it's still Tom Holland. And the, the premise for the movie sounds really interesting to me. So uh, I have some tempered expectations because of 21 Bridges and Extraction. But I will still go into it with the benefit of the doubt because it's still the Russo brothers, man. It's still the Russo brothers. All right. Next up, we've got uh, Initial D's rights. Hey, John and Rob, just missed Rob, unfortunately. I was surprised this Monday morning with an email from Netflix saying that my plan is increasing by $4 from $13.99 to $17.99, a significant increase. I was thinking about how much that'll help their operating deficit. I learned from Campus Classroom. I have not received that information. I heard they were going to do another little increase. Hold on a second. Uh, what do you say it was now? Uh, $17.99? Yeah. Actually, apparently this came out a while ago. I wasn't even aware of this. The most popular plan of, of $13.99 or $14 is, was be, being raised to $18. Yeah, listen, uh, not surprised. They, they have continued to have these big, big years, and they literally lost $5 billion. Their overall company debt right now is sitting at like $15 to $20 billion. And we walked through all the financials of Netflix and how they can make so much money and yet come up $5 billion. They, they spent 5 billion more than they made in, in uh, 2019. Got to make up for that somehow. So prices going up and guess what? With Netflix increasing their prices, that just makes it easier for Disney plus to increase their prices when they do. Cause you know, Disney right now is seven bucks, Disney plus. But you know that's going to go up to 10 bucks pretty quick. 
pro- I expected sometime in early 2021, I expect to hear that price jump to $10, but they can do it because, oh, look, Netflix is 18 bucks. We're only 10 and then it'll be 12 and then it'll be 15 and you know, it'll be what it is. So I get it. I get it. It's, uh, it's disappointing nonetheless, but listen, we're getting, look what you get for $18 though. Look at what you get for $18 a month. I mean, you spend more on that on your gym membership and you spend a lot more time in front of Netflix than you do at your gym, (laughs) right? That shouldn't be the case, but right. I mean, you get an awful lot of entertainment for $18 a month. I mean, that's, that's actually really good, but it's more than what we've been used to. And, but that's going to be the continuing trend, man. That's going to be the continuing trend, unfortunately. All right. Just time for one or two more here, guys. Uh, Ryan Lohner writes, Neither David Prowse or James Earl Jones could have created Darth Vader on their own. This is true. But put them together and something magic happens. Just watch the end of Jedi with Vader looking between Luke and and uh, Palpatine to see what Prowse brought to the role. Um, look, I, I know this will be unpopular to say, but the scene you're describing, Ryan, I mean, let's, to be honest... It's an actor doing this. That scene you're describing, that's that's what the actor did it, behind a mask. I I don't want to overly romanticize it um, because it's not like any other body double couldn't have stood in to do that particular scene. But, you know, I, I think, and that's why when people really think of Vader, we think of his voice. That's why when Vader shows up on Rebels and you hear James Earl Jones's voice, it feels like Vader is there. But there is no mistaking that that huge, physical, imposing, intimidating presence that David Prowse brought to that will be something that will live with us and be immortalized, like forever, for absolutely forever. Um, all right, next up. Ryan also writes, just imagine Grogu sent out, you mean Baby Yoda, uh, sent out his message. There's a ton of buildup waiting for somebody to respond. A ship arrives, a shadowy figure steps out, and Misa been waiting long time for Yusa. Oh, my God. Mm. I think it's safe to say if I was holding this mug and that happened on screen, there is a very high percentage chance that this mug is going flying into that television screen and I am throwing my television out and will never watch television, let alone Disney plus. I will never watch television again. I would never watch like, that's it. I give up on humanity. I give up on entertainment. This uh, is the worst thing ever to ever happen ever. All right. Last question we'll do of the day comes to us from Rendell who writes, Hey, John, uh, what do you think about Mace Windu taking Grogu from the Jedi Temple? Mace would be the first one to find out that Anakin turned to the dark side. I know that they're, they are hard to do, but still miss your movie commentaries, but still rewatch the old ones. Thank you. I miss doing the movie commentaries, too. I got to say, listen, I don't think it's going to be Mace Windu, but it is a distinct possibility. I mean, Samuel Jackson has aged just like his character would have. Uh, Sam Jackson is still open to playing the role. We technically, even though it was completely implied that Mace Windu was dead, but technically we didn't see him die. We saw him lose an arm, but we didn't see him die. So I think it is very unlikely. I do not expect that it's going to be Mace Windu, but I'd be lying to say that it's not a possibility. There are 
cracks in the door open that make that distinctly possible. So it could be. We'll have to wait and see. All right, guys, listen, we've run out of time here. There are still some more questions to come. Sam Fisher, Andrew, um, Jesse, do not worry. We will start off our live questions part of the show tomorrow with yours. So we will get all caught up on the ones that are still to come uh, on tomorrow's show before we get into the new ones that come in. So you sent in those questions. Do not worry. They will be answered properly in a video. But for now, guys. That'll do it for this installment of the John Campy Show. Thank you so much for being here. One more time, guys. My movie, Movie Trailers, A Love Story, is now available uh, worldwide, everywhere, every single country, everywhere, at vimeo.com slash on-demand slash movie trailers. You can go and find it there. If you happen to live in the U.S. or the U.K. and you want another way to watch it, it's also available to you guys in the U.S. and the U.K. on Amazon. Just go to Amazon and search for Movie Trailers, A Love Story. Guys, don't forget, we will be back again tomorrow. We hope you will join us then and at that time. Please do the four main things. Stay smart, stay safe, take care of yourselves, and please take care of the people around you. That'll do it for me for now, guys. My name's John Campia, and until next time, my friends, bye-bye.